Good morning, again to most of you. <laughs> Psalm 103, it takes my breath away. I don't know whether it does yours. Shortly after God delivered Israel from Egypt, he gave Moses his law. And while Moses was with the Lord on Mount Sinai, the people worshipped an idol, the golden calf. And for their sin, God executed 3,000 of them, demonstrating his intense wrath against rebellion. Perhaps Moses was puzzled about the seeming paradox in God, that he should deliver his people only to kill so many of them. He didn't understand. So Moses prayed that God would teach me your ways, that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. In answer, God arranged to appear before, with, before him on Mount Sinai. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished and he punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. This then was how God wanted to be known as Jehovah, full of compassion and grace, patient, forgiving and loving, yet also just and sure to punish the unrepentant. The Apostle Paul urges us to consider the kindness and sternness of God, sternness of those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. He wrote to the Romans on that point. Now King David, in Psalm 103, praises God's kindness, basing his praises on God's declaration to Moses, which we have just heard. He calls himself and all people to praise the Lord for his compassion and grace. He starts with himself and then unto Israel and all the nations and then to all the angels and the whole creation going in ever widening circles like ripples in a pond when you drop a stone in it. And finally back to himself. Now in verses 1 to 5 David first calls on himself to praise God so he first thinks of God's benefits especially to himself and it is no accident that the first of these is forgiveness of sins as long as sin remains unforgiven God and man are enemies Romans chapter 5 and the barrier of sin must be removed before the great blessing of God can come upon us. But once sins are forgiven, the way is clear for God to rain on us many more blessings. Now Psalm starts talk with David talking to himself. Well I talk to myself occasionally. 
get a decent answer. Sometimes. In a sense, he's lecturing himself. He's encouraging himself to praise the Lord from his inmost being and to get not all his benefits. And this is a reminder that Saul was looking back. God told the Israelites, well, you're enjoying the promised land, this land full of milk and honey. Don't forget, it was God who saved you from slavery in Egypt. And it's good for us to remember that once we were without hope, until the Holy Spirit drew us to God and we accepted Jesus Christ as Saviour, we were in the pawn shop that Jesus came to redeem us. We should not forget all the benefits God has given us. Now David reminds himself that his praise must come from the soul. It's not an outward show. It's not mere repetition of words from a book. True praise comes from the soul. Praise must be wholehearted. All my inmost beings praise his holy name. There are no reservations. Everything must be praised. As God forgives all his sins, will ultimately heal all his diseases, redeem his whole life, satisfies all his desires, then all his inmost being must praise God. In verses 6 to 19, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. Having first thought of what the Lord has done for him, David now turns to God's benefits to others. Verses 6 and 19 frame this section. They declare that first God worked righteousness and justice for the oppressed. And then secondly, there is no place where God has no jurisdiction. For from his throne he rules over all. And so David immediately thinks again of the Israelites oppressed in Egypt and prays God for his care. Now we'll look at the greatness of God's compassion. God shows his compassion in that he feels for people who suffer, knowing their frailty. Therefore, he is slow to anger. And when he does become angry, he doesn't nurse his anger forever, but sets it aside when uh, sinners learn to fear him and keep his covenant. And he shows his grace that he doesn't always accuse or treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. But rather, his great love removes our transgressions from us. Now David uses three images to depict the greatness of God's love, compassion and grace towards us. His love is as great as the heavens are above the earth, infinitely far. Man's trying to find the end, isn't he? And he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, infinitely far. No matter how far you go east, there's always something more east than you. And compassion 
is like a father's for his children that is tender and kind, patient and gentle. Now the greatness of man's needs. The benefits of God's grace and compassion stem not only for God's, from God's nature, but also man's sinful nature. Because God knows our frame, that we are dust, so is compassionate towards us. And what brings God's compassion to us is nothing noble in us, but solely and purely his grace. God's holiness meets our sinfulness with forgiveness. God's eternity meets our mortality with life-giving salvation. God's heavenly throne answers our earthly existence with a promise of youthful strength. Now the Apostle Paul simply contrasts our absolute need with God's absolute sufficiency and finds it a cause for praise. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work at those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the craving of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you are saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Well, uh, Philip, uh, sorry, Paul wrote that to the Ephesians. Now God's love is for those who fear him. If we are to understand this psalm fully, we have to accept that while man can never deserve God's grace, he cannot take grace for granted by neglecting the conditions of the covenant. Those who are presuming the infinite extent of divine mercy should consider, though it is as wide as the horizon, as high as the stars, yet it only meant for those who fear the Lord. And as for absolute rebels, they shall have justice without mercy measured out to them. The redeeming work of God may be summed up in terms of verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. As one writer puts it, he puts straight not only the record, but the whole situation and the people. God puts straight everything and everyone that goes wrong. This sums up God's righteousness since he first came to his people in their misery and enslavement. It tells us that what God was dealing with was Israel's helplessness and also her sinfulness. That is, there was something in her that he could be compassionate about, but also something he could be angry about. 
He tells us both judge and saviour, both accusing and rescuing. He tells us that his justice is met and satisfied by his mercy. He will not always accuse. His appearing as judge is a passing mode, while his character as saviour is permanent. How great is the love that takes on the task of removing our sins. Not one of us can keep the law of God, however much we try. But in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful men to be a sin offering. To be in Christ is to believe in him, to accept him as our Lord and Saviour, and to give him rule over our lives. When we are in Christ, our sins are forgiven and we are declared righteous in God's sight. And believers are declared righteous not on the basis of their own righteousness, but on Christ's righteousness. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And having done that, he took upon himself the punishment for our sins that we should have received. The law cannot punish us because the punishment has already been given to Christ. He received the punishment in our place. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for us who are in Christ. What amazing and wonderful news. And we can shout, as the psalmist did, Praise the Lord! O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion, and satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth can be renewed like eagles. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inward being, praise his holy Amen. Amen.